You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James. And welcome, everyone, to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we are talking with authors and gender bias researchers, Amy Deal and Leanne Dubinsky, about their research into gender assumptions and role incredulity, a newly coined phrase for identifying a specific form of gender bias. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Amy Deal and Leanne Dubinsky. Thank you for having us. We're glad to be here. I'm super glad to have you. Good morning. Happy to be here. Good morning. So before we get started, Amy Land, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Uh, Leanne, let's start with you. Good morning, Teresa. I am the interim dean and an associate professor of intercultural education in the Cook School of Intercultural Studies at Biola University here in Southern California. Wonderful. And uh, Amy? Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Deal. I am the chief information officer at Wilson College uh, located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And I am a gender bias expert, researcher, speaker, and consultant. All right. Well, I'm so happy to have both of you on the show today. And I'm really excited to talk about this subject. So let's just jump right in. So the two of you have coined this new phrase um, to identify a specific form of gender bias, which I'm not going to say again because I got through it once and I'm not sure I can get through it again. Um, But why don't you tell me, first of all, so how did you come up with a title and what does it mean? Okay, I'll jump in. Um, So Leanne and I have been collaborating on research going back uh, eight years now to 2014. Um, And we, our goal with our research has been to comprehensively identify gender bias and all of its various aspects and ways that it um, presents. And um, this this concept of rolling credulity came up when we were, one day we were, um, actually it was before COVID, we were sitting at Leanne's dining room table in her in uh, California, um, and we were working through some data. And we had um, our data. We were both qualitative researchers, so our data consists of people's stories. And um, we had organized our data. You know, we sort our data, and we had come up with a whole lot of stories that related to this concept that we didn't. That there wasn't a term for in the literature. And what was happening over and over again that we were seeing in the data was women were expressing dismay at being assumed to be secretary or the nurse or the administrative assistant or the um, or the court reporter if they were uh, if they were a lawyer they 
there's nothing wrong with those roles, but these women right. were not in those roles. So these women were, you know, like directors or professors or lawyers or physicians for to give you some examples. And but yet when they walked into a room and they met somebody new, the new person um, would mistakenly assume that they were in some kind of support role or a role that was not you know, you know, that they were that they were not in. And what basically what was happening is they were assumed to not be in charge. They were assumed to not be the leader. Um, and what they were obviously they were ex expressing, you know, dismay at this. They, you know, weren't sure how to combat it, what to do to to get around it, because you know, they were finding that when um they were misperceived, that it was it was, it also led to them not being like their authority, not being um mm -hmm. Taken as it as it should be, given the the role that they were in. Um, so we um, didn't have a term for this. Um, there was no term. You know, we researched the literature. There was no there was no um, term in the literature. So Leanne and I, um, one of the things we do in our research is we come up with names for things that don't have names currently, and we came up with the term "role incredulity." You know, to um, you know, to describe this phenomenon. And the definition that we put that we put to it is it's a um, form of gender bias where women are mistakenly assumed to be in a support or a stereotypical female role rather than a leadership or a stereotypical male role. And I love I, I love this quote. It's kind of a funny quote, but um, this is a lawyer quote, which Teresa, you will <laughs> I'm sure appreciate. <laughs> She said, um, she said, one of the biggest problems I had was clients telling me that they needed to speak to a real attorney. Any male would do. She said, I could pull the janitor in and tell him what to say. And the client would accept it because he was male. So in her case, she's working with clients who actually should know that she's their attorney, but they don't perceive her as being the attorney. And so they don't accept what she's telling them. Well, I'd be incredulous at that. I <laughs> I can tell you, I would be. I no, I think it's it's it's, and that's probably I, that to me is where it comes because you do have this moment of you're just incredulous at the fact that I look the role, I'm in the position, I'm in the room, I'm attempting to control the room, and right off the bat, somebody makes this wrongful assumption, and you're you're left thinking, what did I do to give you that impression? That's what I've always done. And there's not much you can do about it. You know, is somebody going to think I'm the, you know, the paralegal or the secretary mm -hmm. or, the, you know, the, the court reporter, whatever it might be. Just I just don't know what you can. We're going to talk about what you can do about that and how you yeah, can we're going to talk about solutions. Yeah. yeah. But there is that moment when you walk in and you go, oh, you know, really, really? Yeah, well, we found it. We found it really surprising, too, that in our later research, actually, I started putting this term out on Twitter because I kept seeing women on Twitter complaining about this phenomenon. And so I thought, I've got to get this term out there to give them, you know, something and some way to label it. And a few of the women on Twitter, in particular, a few physicians, and they were they were women of color. Um, so this happens, you know, to all women, but it's especially um, just troubling, you know, because it happens often to women of color, right? And there were a few female physicians that expressed um, that they had experienced this. And there were, there were two in particular that had gone to, like, they were physicians. They had gone to, like, a fellowship picnic or an interview. I think one was a picnic, one was an interview. And in both cases, they were, they brought their, like, significant others with them, their male partners. In both cases, they were assumed to be the wife or the girlfriend of the male partner, not the physician in, in their own right. And so... Um, once I had put this term out on Twitter, we came up with this additional situation where people were assumed, women were assumed to be the wives of the professional or the partner, right. the, the girlfriend 
rather than the professional them, themselves. Right. Well, I want to, I, I think it's important because I'm a lawyer, right? So I think names are important. I think that I, when you said you came up with the term, I, I was thinking back to, I do a lot of sexual harassment training and that's how the phrase sexual harassment came about was that this group of women had gotten together and they were all they found like you, they were experiencing mm-hmm. and meeting all these women experiencing this phenomenon, this, this, you know, treatment, and they had to come up with something to call it. And once they came up with a term, then they had to define it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they happened to bring it up at a rally and a Times reporter, New York Times reporter picked it up splash it across the headlines and now you have sexual harassment. So it is I it's going to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. I wish it were easier to say, but it's going to be the same, mm-hmm. I think. But uh, Leanne, I want you to tell me why share with our listeners the importance of giving a name to something. Right. Well, it's exactly what you were just saying, Teresa. I mean, if we don't have a name for it, then we can't identify it and then it's hard to recognize it. Uh, the glass ceiling was another term that was coined quite a few years ago that has had the same impact on our, our society, our ability to identify a problem, diagnose it, as it were, and then treat it, moving back to the sort of medical analogy. If we can't identify the illness, then we don't know how to fix it. So we've got to have names for these things. And Amy and I firmly believe in um, creating the name when one doesn't already exist for the things that we find in our data that women are struggling with on a daily basis in the workplace. And are you seeing, um, you're obviously interacting on social media. So are you seeing people pick up the term and carry it forward? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead, Leanne. No, I was just saying, I read Amy's Twitter feed because I'm not really good on Twitter. But yes, everything she posts just seems to resonate. And that's something we found throughout all of our research, really, is when we describe these things for women, it's like a light bulb goes off in their head and they say, oh, it's not something wrong with me because until there's a name, women t- tend to think it's it's personal to them and it's not personal. It's happening to all of us. So having a name just really helps with that not depersonalizing and saying it's not about me. Yeah, absolutely. That was how it was for me when I saw your article. Like, yeah. Yes. So I want to I want to mention one more thing, and that's you know in addition to us coining the terms, we really feel that it's important to get our work published, um, so that the terms are out there, just like you described for the you know in the case of the sexual sexual harassment. So this we have published this in the uh, Harvard Business Review. Um, the name of the article is "When People Assume You're Not in Charge Because You're a Woman," and in that article uh, we define rolling credulity and explain some examples and of course some. Um, some steps that people can take um, to uh, overcome this form of bias. Absolutely. That was the article that caught my eye. First, it was the title. And then reading through that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I've seen that. I think a lot of people do that. And you're just not sure. But you take us into a great segue. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, Leanne and Amy are going to share with us some tips and some scripts for dealing with role incredulity when you experience it. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Amy Deal and Leanne Dubinsky about gender assumptions. 
We have been talking about what role incredulity is and why it's important. But as we said before the break, we want to get practical. So let's start, um, Leanne, with the employer perspective, because we like to talk about both sides. So let's talk about the employer perspective and what practical steps employers can take to try to eliminate this type of bias when it occurs in the workplace. Sure, Teresa. Um, thank you for starting with the employers. Amy and I are convinced that for too long, women have felt like these things were their individual problem, as we were talking about before. And so when we diagnose things, we really want to start with what can the employer do to help mitigate this problem? And there's quite a lot of simple fairly practical steps that can be done um, using names and titles in introductions as a standard practice in the company or organization can help right off the bat. Even on a platform like this, a Zoom platform, it would be easy to add people's professional titles so that when there are new people in the room, it's crystal clear who everybody is and what their role is. Um, we can put those same kinds of credentials into our automatically created email signatures so that when emails are going out, the person receiving it has right there in front of them exactly what this person's credentials are. Um, when somebody gets promoted, we can announce I that. I love that. Let's go back one. I love that email signature thing. I think that's super important. Um, and I think that so many people forget this is the etiquette in me, right? This is the etiquette professional in me. Every, I think like every email you send should have a signature in it. It should have that signature line in it because it's got not only your name, your title, but your contact information. So when people need you, they don't have to go searching for you. Yeah. yeah I and I want to add one thing here yes. is that the organization, organizations can buy and configure software to create the signatures automatically. So that each employee doesn't have to worry, you know, doesn't have to go out and set it up on their own, but they can right. be a standard across the organization, right? So that everybody, everybody has got their name, their title, you know, and whatever other contact details. Um, but then it's crystal clear for everybody across the organi organization. So employers should really take this on as a step um, that they can do. Yeah, we have at our company, we have two signatures. So we have an internal automatic signature and an mm -hmm. external automatic signature. Um, which is really helpful because, you know, you're inside the organization. They don't need that big block of signature. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that are, you know, important for people to know uh, internally, especially meeting new people. But I digress. I've gone down a bunny trail. Leanne, keep going. Actually, Teresa, I've been thinking, you know, it's in there. It's in mine. But people don't always pay attention. And so for me, when I was promoted to a new role, which was um, something I was about to say, when people are promoted to a new role, sometimes it's important to announce that over company email, but also I need that internal signature block even within my organization sometimes. Right. Um, I can't, we can't force people to pay attention to it, but at least it's there. Right. Right. So right. right. You write back to me and say, you need your supervisor's approval. I can say, actually, I am the supervisor at this point. Wow. I haven't had anybody do that in an email. It's usually like a face to face thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah, so these are just practical things. You can have name tags, physical name tags, if you're in physical meetings, if that if that might help with new people in the room. Um, door signage. Um, another thing that Amy and I have thought about is what are just the general images that the company is displaying in its physical workspace? 
right? Like are those, if it's a medical facility, are all the pictures on the walls of nurses, females and doctors, males, or are we using more representative imagery? That would apply with race and ethnicity as well as gender too. These are ways we can just start changing the culture by presenting images that are more accurate of who we're trying to be and what we're trying to achieve. That's interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, be consistent with titles. There's nothing worse than hearing, um, you know, Dr. Smith and Amy when it's a male. (laughs) So trying to be consistent and and, um, just develop a culture that is respectful, I think, for everybody in there. Yeah, I do think it kind of goes back to a lot of this. For in my brain keeps I keep hearing etiquette etiquette bells going off. And that idea of you know introducing someone and how you introduce someone, you do use their title. Um, you know, for both individuals, everybody's you know kind of knows who's who in the room. I love that. I love that. All right. So uh, was that th- those are our great tips for employers. I think everything was super useful and very helpful. Employers, please take that to heart. What about our employees? Amy, what are tips for some of our employees? Maybe some scripts people can use when you're faced with this type of behavior? Because I think what happens is people tell you should address it. Nobody really tells you what, you know, actually, what what can you say? What can you do in those situations to address it other than just roll your eyes and go, I'll worry about it later. I'm not going to make a scene. I'm not going to I'm not going to do any, you know, what can we do? Yeah, I think you've got I think it's an excellent question. And there's two perspectives to this question. One is what can you do if it's happening to someone else? Right. And the second one is what can you do if it happens to yourself? And I'm going to let Leanne explain what to do if it's happening to someone else. Yeah. So here's another word that's been added to our vocabulary relatively recently, this concept of allies, right? Who are our allies in the workplace, whether it's gender issues, race issues, whatever. So if you're the ally and you see it happen, you can speak up for the other person on their behalf. We all know that if women speak up for ourselves, sometimes that gets us a little backlash. But if we speak up for somebody else, it's okay. That's within our acceptable gender scripts, right? Um, another thing that I think is important is if if you um, if you see somebody mess up, give them an out, give them a way to save face so that they don't feel shame. So, oh, John, maybe you forgot that Amy recently got a promotion and is now, you know, whatever her new title is. So just create a culture, help create a culture that acknowledges we forget things, we mess up, we're human. That's all right. The important thing is then to acknowledge it and fix it. Um, Another thing women can do if you're frequently going into a situation where this happens to you is you can create a buddy system. So Amy and I can go to a conference and I can say, hi, I'd like you to meet my colleague, Dr. Deal. She's the, and I give her role and then she can turn around and introduce me. I'd like you to meet Dr. Dubinsky and this is her role. And then we're not, again, we're not doing it ourselves. We're doing it for each other. Now that has its own pitfall because of course it's unfair that women can't advocate for ourselves. So in any given situation, it's important to sort of figure out what's the lay of the land here and what's the best strategy moving forward. I do think that's important. And I love what you said about not embarrassing the person, like giving that person an out. Nobody likes to feel chastised or especially like that. It takes you right back to kindergarten or grade school. You know, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And you know, never want to do that with somebody, especially when you're trying to make a point because you want this person to feel comfortable to explore and to, you know, to, to, to try again, to make it right and all those things. So I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, if you want, I'll pick up with what what you can do if it happens to you. And I want to start with a story. Um, 
The story is about Tina Mickelson. Um, if her name sounds familiar, she's the sister of uh, Phil Mickelson, who's a, who's a golfer. a golfer. Tina is a golf professional in her own right. Um, and she wrote, she wrote an article for the, the magazine. It's called Four, Four Magazine, F-O-R-E. Um, and she described this story where she, I guess, runs a golf shop. And so at the end of the day, and when she was closing up, a, a man, a male customer walks in and has he had a question, but he clearly didn't want to speak to to Tina. Um, and um, he motioned towards a teenage employee who was on the phone. Tina, recognizing that he wasn't, you know, recognizing her as as the as the pro, um, she decided to let this man wait. <laughs> so she continues with her closing duties, and the man waits and waits, and finally the teenager gets off the phone. And um, so he then asks the question, and the teenager responds, "Well, he says you're going to have to ask any motions to Tina, the golf professional, because I'm just the cart guy." <laughs> And um, the man, what ended up happening was the man turned around embarrassed and walked out of the store. Oh. But the follow up that she added with this story was a few weeks later, he came back in and he apologized and has since started treating, treating her very respectfully in the role that, that she's in. And so, um, you know, I wouldn't suggest that maybe as the as the default for how you know you should handle it if it happens right, to you. Right, but right. clearly, you know, this has been happening over and over again to to Tina, where she was assumed to be the shop girl instead of the golf pro. Um, so the, the quick tips, if this does happen to you, is just to, first of all, proactively identify your role when you're meeting new people. Hi, I'm Dr. Deal. I'm the chief information officer. We've talked already about including your title and credentials in your email signature and web conferencing. If, it's, if your organization doesn't do that for you, for you automatically, you can set up your own signature. And then, um, of course, the, qu the question is, what do you do if your role is misidentified? And usually it's the, the best approach is really just the, the polite but firm correction of the mistake and just say, you know, actually, I'm the surgeon. Actually, I'm your lawyer. Actually, I'm the director of security. Just firmly correct, um, but, you know, quickly correct the mistake and then, and then move on. Most people, this is not something that most people do um, intentionally. It's just a mistaken st stereotypical assumption. And so most people will, you, it'll be a learning opportunity uh, uh, for most people. Yeah, especially in the way that you handle it. And I think that's lovely. I think that's a great way to handle it. I know it's, it feels like everything else that feels so satisfying to put that person in their place. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it might be appropriate to do that depending on the situation that you're in. Um, but you got to realize the consequences of that. Like Tina's story, she could have lost that customer. Um, but thankfully that person was, you know, a big enough person to come back and, you know, communicate. And that's, mm -hmm. that's wonderful. I think it's great, but I would, I would suggest not jumping on that and really trying to give that, like, like we said before, like give that person an out yes. and really help them out. Yeah, well, you really do want to help them save face. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you want to make strides. And I think one of the ways we're going to make strides in so many fronts is by being and trying to be inclusive um, and trying to make people feel comfortable with, you know, society has changed. Get on board. Here's a, here, here's a way to get on the bus that's easy um, and, and moving it forward that way. Well, ladies, in our just remaining few minutes, very quickly, do you have any words of wisdom or any thoughts for the future with this, uh, Leanne? Well, I, yeah, I was thinking about this and it really just piggybacks on what you were saying. I was thinking about what would be my advice. And I thought, you know, my grandmother used to say, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> That's exactly what you were just saying, right? It's so tempting to want to react. And 
if we can remain gracious, even though internally we may feel turned up, I think we make a lot more progress that way. So I just encourage us all to try to keep that positive attitude as we deal with these things. Absolutely. I agree. 100%. Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, if it does happen to you, don't take it personally. It happens to all of us. It's unfortunate. Unfortunately, it happens to all of us, especially uh, as women in male stereotype professions. So don't be afraid to call it out and, you know, just know that it'll be a teaching moment uh, for the person who misidentified you. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for being on the show today and sharing your thoughts, your expertise with all of our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. You can learn more about Leanne and Amy, including details about their upcoming book, Gender Bias in the Workplace, The Six Barriers Holding Women Back at Work by visiting Amy's website at www.amy-deal.com. That's A-M-Y-D-I-E-H-L.com. You can also connect with Amy and Leanne via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. 